0: This is the Dan Grasse Show on 98.7 ESPN. Next, and to help us answer those questions, we bring on our next guest. He is the senior writer extraordinaire for NHL.com. He is New Jersey's own Dan Rosen. Daniel, how are you, my friend? Things well? Things are good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no complaints whatsoever. Real quick, um, before we get into the Rangers stuff, Devils game two tonight. They're sticking with Akira Schmidt. There was some speculation as to whether or not he might go back to Vanacek. After all, he was the guy who got them to the playoffs, had a great season. Schmidt struggled in game one. Are you surprised that they're sticking with the kid here tonight in what amounts to a pretty important game, too?
1: No, not at all, actually, because uh, as good as Vanacek was this season, and he played a huge role in them getting to where they are, Schmidt's a big reason why they are where they are right now. And it was not a great game one, but it wasn't a great game one for the Devils as a whole. They're kind of making that their thing right now. They can't make game two what it was for the Rangers series either, because it's unlikely you're winning four or five, two series in a row against two good teams. But I'm not surprised at all that Schmidt is back at net. The reason being is before he played in game three against the the New York Rangers, I talked to Marty Brodeur about him, and he Mm -hmm. said one of the things about him was the size. Like, he's bigger than Vanacek, and his size matters. Like, he's 6'5", 6'2". Goalie sees a little bit over the top more. It helps. And the other thing he said, and we saw it in the Rangers series, is when he makes a save and he's on his game, it spreads calm through the entire team. And Vanacek is a little more violent, I think, with his movements and his saves. Schmidt is a little bit more smooth. Doesn't mean one's better than the other, but we saw it against the Rangers that that calm spread through the team when they needed it, and that confidence came from that and I'm not surprised at all after losing game one that they went back to him because of that.
0: Okay, making sense of what happened with the Rangers, it's one thing to lose a hard-fought series in seven games. It's another way to go out in the manner in which they did to really, you know, game seven after that first period, I mean, they just didn't show up. I mean, there's no other way around it there. When you take a step back and make sense of the entire season, do you view this first-round exit as a massive disappointment, or was it, you know what, there were maybe signs of this that it was possible?
1: Well, I mean, the Devils were a better team than them all season. Um, They beat them three out of four times in the regular season. They had five more wins than them. They were the higher seed, you know. Yes, they were the younger team. So there were signs that it could happen, that they could lose this series. It was a coin flip series, and then they went seven games, you know. The better matchup for the Rangers was the Carolina Hurricanes. The the Devils wanted to play the Rangers because the matchup favored them. The Rangers, they, they didn't say it wanted to play the Carolina Hurricanes because the matchup favored them in that series. didn't happen. So I don't think it's a massive disappointment. I think with the dis- that they lost the series. It's not a massive disappointment that they lost the series. I think the disappointment is in how they lost the series. Mm-hmm. Scoring two goals in their four losses, like unacceptable for a team that has the offensive firepower that they have not as if the New Jersey Devils were a defensive dynamo this season. You know, I mean, they were good, but they weren't a defensive dynamo. They didn't have an all-star goalie in net, they, You know, like, it's, it's a team that relied on its speed all year long, still does. And you saw the Rangers were able to slow them down and exploit them at times, right? But then the games where they couldn't do that, they didn't have anything. And there was no other thing for them to go to. There was no secondary... Game plan for them to go to when they couldn't slow the Devils down. And I think that's a big issue. And it's how they lost the series, not that they lost the series. And that is the reason why we're still talking about it here. It's not because they lost the seven game series and the first round. It's it's because in the manner of which they did.
0: Well, and you also look at it in the fact this roster was constructed by Chris Drury to win a cup, right? I mean, when you go out there at the deadline and you bring in guys like Patrick Kane, who ultimately did very little in this series, Vladimir Tarasenko, who had his moments, certainly more than Kane, at least in those seven games. But when you come up short like this, you know, it's probably tough to rationalize because you kind of, I'm sure they're left asking themselves, okay, where do we go from here? Because guys that you rely on all season long, and especially once the playoffs roll around, some of them came up really empty in this series.
1: Well, Panarin didn't have a point sure. after game one. had scored one goal in the series. Kreider was good. He, had, he obviously got his goals. Tarasenko had three goals. So you can't really get on him too much. But they all didn't score when it mattered. I mean, they got shut out in games five and seven. So they're all culprits for this, right? I mean, but yes, Chris Drury went all in at the deadline. He went after the higher, highest-end guys that he could go after. And I can't blame him. Nobody was saying at the time, why is he doing this? Everybody was like, wow, look at what he's doing. But if you really look and analyze it, the Rangers went on a run last year, and they went out and got guys like Andrew Kopp and Frank Petrano and Tyler Mott, who, by the way, they did get again this year. But they went on a run with those guys, and those guys are guys who fill roles. They don't have to have the puck. They don't have to demand the puck. Right. Patrick Kane never quite got comfortable in New York because his game is predicated on demanding the puck and having it on his stick and controlling the game. They got guys that do that already. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they <laughs> already got guys that do that. So, like, that's Panarin's game, right? I, I mean, so it's, it's never quite fit. I, I think there's a lesson to be learned here that when you have high-end talent already – you don't necessarily have to go out and get all-stars. You need to go out and get guys like Kopp and Vetrano who can fill spots, won't demand the puck, but can score and be part of this the, the solution, not brought in to be the solution when you don't necessarily need to bring guys in to be the solution. But I got to tell you, nobody was saying that when they brought these guys in, me included. Right.
0: Yeah, because it was you're bringing in more rock stars. That's what you're doing, right? right. I mean, it was a team that you figured yeah. right was going to learn from the experience they had last year and going all the way to the conference finals. Which, you know, in hindsight, I I, I don't know. You look at it now in retrospect, given what happened this year and the early exit from the playoffs, you almost was that kind of almost like fool's gold in a way. Because, look. Pittsburgh was a banged-up team last year in round one, and they almost got bounced in round one last year. They needed overtime to go beat Louis Domingue, for example, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'd be maybe looking at this a little bit differently if the Rangers didn't make that run to the conference finals last season, right? Well, 100%. I mean, they very easily could have been out in five games last
1: year. People forget that. You know, I mean, they were down 3-1 to of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round. They could have flamed out in five games last year. Expectations would have been much lower this year had they done that. But they weren't. They went to Game Six of the Eastern Conference Final this year. That raises expectations. That's why we're looking at this. But you know, the other thing you got to look at too. This is a path, and I, I brought this up with Gerard Gallant after you know in their post in his uh, press conference on Wednesday, and I wrote about this a little bit. This isn't a path that other, this is a path that other teams have traveled to. Look how long it took, and how many playoff disappointments the Washington Capitals, with their core group, had before mm-hmm. they won the Stanley Cup in 2018. Colorado Avalanche lost three times in a row in the second round of the playoffs. Then they won the Stanley Cup. The Tampa Bay Lightning got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets after winning the President's Trophy and setting records. Then they won the Stanley Cup, and they did it again. So, like, it's a the the Blues didn't make the playoffs the year before they won the Stanley Cup. So we've seen this path. It's part of what the journey is to winning a Stanley Cup. Will the Rangers ever get there? I I don't know. But the fact is it's going to be a very interesting offseason for them. But their guys are signed. Their big, big guys are signed. So I think that does... Play a role in this than thinking to themselves, hey, we've got more in us. We just have to get back there and learn from this.
0: Talking to Dan Rosen, NHL.com, here on 987 ESPN, you mentioned the head coach. I was – I got to be honest, I was a little surprised at how he was the other day up in Westchester, you know, when the dust had settled, and it was almost – you know, he almost struck a defiant tone to me, Dan, and it was – I saw yeah. a guy – who was kind of unhappy that the gentleman that he works for have not come out and maybe been a little bit more definitive as far as lending maybe public support in his way because he was the one that had to answer all those questions about his job security. Did you take that in the same way? I did. I mean, he was combative, to be honest with you. It was interesting. Like, he he came into the press conference and said, I'm fine,
1: I'm fine, you know? And that kind of opened the door for us to be like, well, what do you mean? You're fine. You know, like why are you saying that? You know, and we all know the speculation. So he was asked about it and I asked him a question about it. And he got a little combative, but that's okay. You know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, that that that's perfectly fine because he didn't like it. He called it disappointing that he had to answer those questions. I don't blame him. He's got ninety nine wins in two years. He's been to the playoffs twice. He's played twenty his team has played twenty seven playoff games in two years. For all intents and purposes, outside of winning the Stanley Cup. It's been a pretty good run for the Rangers under Gerard Glant so far. But the speculation exists because we haven't really heard anything from Chris Drury or anybody with the Rangers regarding this. So whereas I I think he could be okay, it's kind of dangling out there right now. And that's the that's the thing that I would imagine is frustrating for Gerard Glant, Unless privately he's been told by Chris Drury and the Rangers, you're fine. Don't worry about it.
0: Do you think, he, I mean, I mean, do you think he's coming back or do you think they're actually going to make a change? I just think, and look, it's hockey, and I know that in hockey, you know, coaches are hired to be fired maybe more so than any of the other major sports, and then they land on their feet again and they could be successful. But I, I And you mentioned Washington. Washington played that game going through coaches until they finally yep. got it right. But, I mean, two years? You mentioned the track record. I mean, it's been a pretty good two years. Do you really want to start from scratch again with somebody else?
1: Here's the thing. You before you let anybody go, who are you going to replace him with? Right. Well. So a ye- a year ago, I mean, a year ago, we knew that Barry Trotz was out of a coaching job, and he might have been available. Turns out he wasn't. Obviously, Jim Montgomery just finalist for the Jack Adams Award. You know, I mean, he just led Boston Bruins. Now they lost in the playoffs, but it was a historic regular season, all that stuff. Like these guys, there were guys available. I don't necessarily know right now that there's. Anybody necessarily better that is currently available than Gerard Gallant for the Rangers. So, with that in mind, I think he's fine. Mike Sullivan becomes available three weeks from now, months from now, which I don't expect but potentially could happen with the Pittsburgh Penguins needing to hire a new general manager. If Mike Sullivan becomes available, well, then maybe Gerard Gallant's not fine. You
0: know What, what about I mean? Peter Laviolette?
1: So Eh, you know, Peter Laviolette is a, a longtime coach, a really good coach in the NHL for a long time, but I don't think he's had a team that win in the first round of the playoffs since 2018, I think it is.
2: Um, but he's
1: taken three teams to the finals, you know? Gallant. He has, he has, but I don't know right now that he's any better than Gerard Gallant. Gerard Gallant took the Vegas Golden Knights in their first year to the final. He took the Rangers to the Eastern Conference final. I mean, he was a Jack Adams finalist last year. I, we, we forget about that, you know, and I think uh, what I'm saying here is I think he's fine right now, but we haven't heard from the general manager. So it's just pure speculation. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors right now. We got to assume he's fine, but a week from now, he might not be. I don't, I don't know.
0: I Look, I, I, I personally would bring him back because, again, I look at the overall body of work, and there's a lot more than good over the two years. So yeah. I, I I would certainly bring him back here. But you know they're not going to bring the the roster back entirely. It just At the end of the day, Dan, here's what it comes down to with the Rangers, and this is where they have to fall away from this trap a little bit because you saw it was more evident, I think, last year. They just are so darn reliant on the goaltender because in this playoff series, if not for, for Shostarkin, they would have lost even more lopsided in the manner oh, of yeah. some of these games in which they did.
1: So they are. They also, very much so. But they, You have the, one of the best goalies in the league. you got to rely on them a little bit. So I, I get that. But their their issue to me was, again, when the Devils turned up the speed on them, they started to turn it over. They couldn't generate. They couldn't get through the neutral zone. I, I was asking this question at breakup day on Wednesday, and I didn't, Nobody really said yes to this, but you just lost. So the NHL right now is probably the fastest we've seen it mm-hmm. ever, right? And the Devils probably are the fastest team in the league. Well, I don't know if that is a way to quantify this, but doesn't that, wouldn't that make them one of the fastest teams of all time? If the league is as fast as it's ever sure. been and they're the fastest team in the league, right? The Rangers need to get faster. They, they, they need to play faster. They need to move the puck faster. They need to look for shots faster. They got hesitant. They passed it around, tried to go east-west. It never works. In the playoffs, you've got to go. you got to go, 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 and you got to attack, and you got to go straight. And this team doesn't always go straight. So there's, I don't know what they're going to – they're not going to be able to change that identity. But what we saw last year when they got, like I said, cop, Vetrano, those type of players – those types of players filled roles that they they did play straight lined. They 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 did they went north. They didn't they didn't need to have the puck on their stick to make plays all the time. They went to the net. The Rangers didn't go to the net. They didn't win puck battles down low. They need guys like that. But the problem is they've got about 12 million or less, and they got to find about seven or eight guys. So it's it's going to be a very interesting off for the New York Rangers. And it-
0: and a lot of these, you know, key players, foundational type players, all have the no movement clauses anyway. So it's not like they're really going yeah. anywhere, or so their hands are tied in that respect. We'll see what happens. Certainly interesting, Danny. Great stuff as always, my friend. I'll let you get back to the uh, the little league baseball you got going on there. Appreciate the time as always. 14 and fourteen, uh,
1: you a little older. <laughs>
0: how how we do? How is the team doing tonight? Are we winning or what? Do we have Dan? We lost him. I guess nature took over when it came to the cell service. But anyway, Dan's at a game with his kids there, but we appreciate a couple of minutes from him uh, as always. So some interesting things to say from Dan there about the Rangers and where this thing is headed into the summertime. We got some time, you know, let's take some hockey calls here at 800-919-3776. Interesting summer for the blue shirts potentially. We'll also talk a little hoops with Justin Termini of NBA Radio coming up in about 15 minutes. Dan the show, 98.70 SPN. This is the Dan Grossa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Down the road. Uh, boy, how about those Yankees? Harrison Bader. Big three-run jack in the sixth inning as the Bombers have tied up the Rays at four apiece. So some new life down at the trop for the Bombers. Brandon Nimmo's got a solo shot, accounting for the only Met offense tonight. one nothing lead over the Rockies, that one in the fifth inning out at City Field. Uh, let's get to some phone calls. I want to talk a little Ranger hockey with Chris in Queens. He's up next here on 98.7. Christopher, how are you? Good.
2: Thanks for taking my call. How are you? Good. Chris, what's going on? Um, I, honestly, I couldn't agree like, more with what was uh, said about the New York Rangers just a little while ago. Um, just so, something I wanted to add on top of it was, do you think we go back to like the five A's and get rid of Trouba's C? I mean, personally, I think that hit on that hit he laid was just pretty unnecessary. I mean, obviously, we all wanted to see the Rangers get physical, lay the hits and all that. But if you want to do that, do it in the first period. If you want to do that, do it when you're at home. You know, don't do it when you're down three goals in game seven, to be honest. I mean, I, I think we go back to pot.
0: Yeah, but Chris, isn't that? kind of Jacob Truba's game in the sense that physicality and one of the reasons why they made him the captain I mean we saw him lay those of type of hits is. on players all throughout the regular season not just in game seven no of course it is but if
2: you're not going to do it in the games at home or even at attempt to not even it wasn't just hit. I I can't lie it was the defense as a whole but if you're going to lay those hits down and you want to make a make an impact on the game try to do it a little bit earlier. You, you're going to do, do it when you're down two three goals, whatever it was, in, in, in the third period, game seven. Like, come on.
0: Well, here, here, here's the I, – now, I don't know if this was the psychology behind it, and, Chris, thank you for the phone call, but in that situation, you're trying to jumpstart the team any which way you can, and not just jumpstart the team. You're trying to change the momentum in that hockey game, as, as, as you know, unlikely as it may have been. Like, let's just say, for example – you know, Truba lays that hit on Timo Meyer, which look, it was it was a clean hit. All right. It looked violent and everything, but it was a clean hit. I don't think there was an infraction on the play. But in that situation, you're probably thinking, if you're the Devils, you hope that one of those guys on the team goes and takes a run at Truba or starts a fight or something like that to where then maybe that wakes up the Rangers a little bit. If one of their guys has to drop the gloves, then you're hoping to flip the momentum. Like you said, I, I don't know if that was his thinking behind actually laying that hit on Meyer. But you want to get the team that's in cruise control off their spot a little bit, right? And Latrua does that stuff all the time. Not saying he's a dirty player in any which way, but, I mean, he's a physical player. And if you watch the Rangers all season long, like we all do, I mean, that's – I mean, shoot, you can count on two hands how many of those type of hits you see from him. It just so happened that, you know, that was probably – You know, uh, 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 he he delivered that one clean. You know, clean hit, as they say. In the playoffs, in a game seven, rivalry game. And believe it or not, Timo Meyer, the guy who was on the receiving end of that, he's back in the lineup tonight for the Devils. You know, you didn't know if he was even going to be able to go. He didn't play game one against Carolina, but he's got the face shield that he's wearing tonight, and he's good to go. Thankfully, he didn't suffer a concussion, at least one that wasn't reported. And he's back in the lineup here. Devils, by the way, had a five-on-three power play uh, midway through the first period. Could not score on it. We'll see if that comes back to bite them. Still scoreless against the Carolina Hurricanes here uh, midway through the first period in a game number two down in Raleigh. Look, the thing with the Rangers, you know, like if you want to talk about the defensemen, for example, you know, there's other guys who are members of that blue line that didn't really do the job that they were entrusted to do in that series. You know, I, I, I did not think that Adam Fox had that great of a series. Especially as the series wore on. I thought his play slipped to me. I know he's a finalist for the Norris Trophy. He's not going to win it. That's going to go to Eric Carlson. But um, I didn't think he had a great series. Keandre Miller, I didn't think had a great series. And those are guys who were, you know, some of your better players. Clearly, so, I mean, starting with Fox. But these are guys who were also part of this team last year that have gone deep in the Stanley Cup playoffs that you expect to make a difference for you, and they didn't when they needed it the most. I understand that if you want to win cups and you want to win championships, you need these X factors, right? I mean, like, look at the Devils, for example. Game seven. Game seven makes heroes out of guys, right? How many people thought Mike McLeod would be the guy who would score the game-winning goal in that game? He got them on the board first. They didn't need another one. Right? He's the you know, fourth line guy, last guy you would think that would be the scoring hero, where well, that's not really his game. You know, once upon a time, our buddy Mike Rupp, right? Game seven in the 2003 Stanley Cup finals with the Devils and, and the Anaheim Ducks. Rupper scored some goals there, right? Not the guy you would expect. And he was a young pup at that time in his career. That's the beauty of sports, beauty of you know, the long playoff grind, but consistently you need your best guys to be your best guys if you want to go far. And the Rangers just didn't have that. And the reliance, the over-reliance on the goaltender time and time again. You know, the thing with, like, like, even when the Devils changed goalies for game number three of that series and went to Schmidt, I wasn't, like, overly impressed with how he played the first couple of games that they won at Madison Square Garden in three and four. The big difference was is the guys in front of the goalie wearing devil uniforms they just played better, and it made the goaltender's job easier moving forward. Schusterkin, to me, was hung out to dry way too many times in this series, more times than he could even bail them out. All right, when we come back, we'll go back to some NBA. Talk a little Knicks heat. Talk about this Giannis rumor, and if it's got any legs. Our pal Justin Termini of NBA Radio is going to join us coming up next. Dan Gross, the show we roll till 10, right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Heat with the series knotted up at one game apiece and joining us now to talk all things NBA. It is is our good buddy. You hear him weekdays on Sirius XM's NBA radio. He is Justin Termini. JT, long time no chat. How are things, my friend? Well, I'm just watching the Celtics and the Sixers game right now, Dan, so everything's going all right tremendous in your Celtics right now in a little bit of a hole but it's an even game in uh, the second quarter still a lot of time to be played there uh we'll get into that in just a little bit here how about that juicy rumor that Windhorse floated out today about Giannis potentially wanting to leave Milwaukee and maybe the Knicks would be a destination could you ever foresee a scenario where he leaves Milwaukee
3: Uh, I mean, listen, they're not set up very well for the next couple of years. Chris Middleton is aging, plus he can be a free agent after this uh, season, so he can be a free agent right now. Brooke Lopez uh, is a free agent as well. They're going to bring in a new head coach. You know, Drew Holiday, I saw something where he was talking uh, a couple of days ago. It was from last year, but the audio was just circulating how he would be stepping away uh, after his current contract is up, which is two more years. And Giannis is still a young guy. So, yeah, I I could see it, especially in the NBA. Now, the foreign guys, the international guys, Guys more likely to stay where they are, even if it's a small market than maybe the American guy.
0: But I could see Giannis
3: leaving.
0: You and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. Like, you know, we pride loyalty. We like seeing guys with the same organization, especially the superstars, because it's kind of rarefied air now in the NBA. But, you know, I I guess you can't be surprised about anything anymore as to the way things go in the NBA. And, And furthermore, You know, what do you make about the decision to get rid of Budenholzer? Uh, I mean, that kind of caught me off guard, to be honest with you, especially when you consider everything that happened to him, you know, in his life away from the court with his poor uh, brother in the accident during that series. Did that take you by surprise that they decided to get rid of him?
3: I mean, with the brother thing, I was wondering how they would handle it and, you know, if it would be right away. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that he's gone. I mean, look at the recent championship head coaches. I think it's everybody since 2015 outside of Steve Kerr that's been fired. Frank Vogel fired. Nick Nurse fired. Now Mike Budenholz are fired. So you'll win a champion. Ty Lue won a championship fired in that time frame. So everybody but Kerr is out. So it doesn't shock me. Uh, and listen, if you said Mike Budenholz in five, the last five years, he's had the best player in the sport, right, Giannis. I think if we were to take a, a summary in all the five years, you'd say Giannis, been the best player over this span, booting holes for regular season coach. awesome. Three of the last five years during his time in Milwaukee had the best record in the NBA. Yet only one trip to the finals, only two trips past the second round so I think it was a little bit disappointing what he accomplished there with the amount of talent that he had uh, I look at it like Doc Rivers in Boston his time there where did Doc overachieve no Doc didn't overachieve did he underachieve I don't know if he underachieved but he did what he, he should have done I guess and I guess you could say that about boot he didn't get more out of the roster than I think a typical coach would have uh, but you know he got the championship for you and I have no issue with them parting ways
0: do you think that influences the Giannis decision one way or the other with this move?
3: Well, I would think Giannis has a say in this, right? Now, they're not going to come out and say that, oh, you know, Giannis said to fire uh, Mike Budenholzer. It might have been, not been Giannis's idea. But in the, in the NBA, now you're always siphoning everything through your, your top players. So they want to do something in L.A. It goes through LeBron. They want to do something in Boston. It goes through Jason Tatum. They want to do something in Dallas. It goes through Luka Doncic. And when they want to do something like fire a coach in Milwaukee, they're at least passing it by Giannis. So he must have been okay with the decision. All
0: right. Knicks-Heat series. We go play a best out of five now. It's going to go down to Miami tomorrow afternoon. Game one, Knicks didn't have Julius Randle. Game two, Heat didn't have Jimmy Butler. Do you got a feel for this series yet, or do you think it's still a little too early? Well, I mean, I think the more talented team is the
3: Knicks, but it's got to scare you a little bit when – uh Miami on the road can keep it that close for as long as they did uh, last game. And if it's not for like a 24-second shot clock violation, that maybe shouldn't have been the, the case. If it's not for that four-point play, which I thought was the right call, but I guess could have gone either way. Maybe we're talking about a different series here, and it's 2 nothing Miami with one of those games without Butler. I guess I would need to know what the status of Butler is. Is he going to play? How is he going to look? And then I can base the, the decision off of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, Miami, it's just like – Eric Spolster, and I was talking about this the other day, I don't know about the worst loss you could give this guy. He's still going to be able to eke out a playoff win or two. uh, But I think the Knicks have more talent, so I'm going to stick with New York.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I think the one thing that's pretty evident, at least so far in the first couple of games, is you know, and the caution to Knicks fans is this ain't the Cavaliers you're playing. This is a Miami team that is well coached, a team that has, you know, lots of playoff experience. They're not going to go away quietly, like, let's say, maybe a Cleveland team was more prone to do in round number one. So they should already be prepared for that the way the rest of this series could play itself out here. With the Knicks, though, you know, you, you look at Randall. And he had himself, by all accounts, a really good game in game number two, even though he was coming off of the ankle injury. And, and, and he's not going to be 100% until the summertime when he is off it and not playing basketball for a few weeks here. But is this the guy you think, from what you've seen in the playoffs, that the Knicks can rely on on a game-in, game-out basis that, okay, you know what you're getting from this guy, all-star Julius Randle?
3: Yeah, well, listen. I've been fighting with my co-host Eddie Johnson about this all season. He thinks Randall's the best player on the team. I think the the best player and the most important player is Jalen Brunson. Uh, and you know, you don't necessarily need Randall, I guess, to be the guy down the stretch. Uh, you don't necessarily need Randall to to be the high IQ player because I think he's surrounded by those type of guys, especially the Villanova guys, right? Brunson and Josh yeah. Hart. I think they just make you make you feel very comfortable at the end of the games, probably like Jimmy Butler does for the Miami fan. Uh, you know, they just always make the right play, Uh, they don't seem to care about their stats, so I feel very comfortable with those two guys down the stretch and if Julius Randle maybe in the first half can continue to play at the level that he has uh, then I think you, you feel comfortable with that.
0: Are you comfortable with the way Tibbs goes about, let's say, his rotations and the fact that he doesn't like to play a lot of guys? You know, even the guys that he does play off the bench, he's not playing a major minutes. And, look, that's one of the things that maybe fans have been a little bit critical of him throughout the season, that he plays no more than nine, let's say, ten on occasion. But, you know, it, it's still those same, you know, the Hart and Steins of the world, the Emmanuel Quicklys, and Quickly only got nine minutes in the last game. They're going to need to get him going here. But do you think Tibbs needs to be a little bit more flexible, even though we are in the NBA playoffs?
3: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think I would say maybe you're frustrated with that in the regular season, where it's like take some of the burden off of Julius Randle, off of Brunson, off of R.J. Barrett, uh, and not only take some of the, the the you know the miles off their legs heading into the postseason to the fresher. And I'm not for load management. I, I want to make that clear. But you know, just maybe cutting back their minutes a little bit, and giving more minutes to like an Obi and to a you know a Quinton Grimes and Miles McBride. So they're once they get to the postseason, they're a little bit more comfortable, right? And they've got some playing time under their belt. Uh, and I I have no issue shortening up the rotation in the postseason, especially a guy like Quickly, who I voted for Malcolm Brogdon first for six man of the year. I voted for Bobby Portis second. I voted for Quickly third. People in New York gave me a lot of heat for that, but I think we're seeing play out right now that. In that order, Brogdon, Portis, and then quickly, that's how good these guys are, because quickly hasn't given you anything. And I'm surprised New York's gotten this far with a guy that I think you could probably say was their third or fourth best player during the regular season, essentially giving you nothing. But right now, he's not shown that he deserves to play.
0: It's amazing. It really is, and, and, and they need, to, like, you could sit here and, you know, breaking down the rest of the series, and that's the guy that they need to get going. I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, when he was in the starting lineup this year, I mean, the guy was averaging more than 20 points a game, and regular season, Emmanuel Quickly, who you said, was up for six-man consideration. That's the guy that they have to rediscover here. He has to discover himself, if you will, for the remainder of this series or however long they go in the playoffs, because, I don't know if they even get past the Miami Heat, JT, if Quickly is giving you absolutely no production off the bench.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. And to balance it out like why you want to criticize Quickly, one of the things that's helped them pick up the slack here uh, has definitely been the play of R.J. Barrett, who I've been very critical of during the regular season uh, ever since the first two games in Cleveland, and I'm sure you'll agree. He's been fantastic. He's played a lot better in the postseason, actually, after the first two games than he has in the regular season.
0: Talking with Justin Termini of NBA Radio here on 98.7 ESPN. The Josh Hart move at the trade deadline, you know, it, it wasn't one of those that was, like, considered a blockbuster, stop traffic, oh, you know, the Knicks got Josh Hart. But I'll tell you, if there isn't a guy who embodies New York City, embodies this team the way they expect their players to go out there and just lay it out on the line, do all the dirty work. I mean, he has been an absolute perfect fit for this team. You know what you're, you know, it's like Mr. Reliable. You know what you're getting from Josh Hart every time he steps out on the basketball court. What a pickup he's been.
3: Well, he's been fantastic, and, uh, you know, it's the type of guy that I think just fits in perfectly on a winning team. and I said it at the outset. I said Leon Rose when they came out with the uh, the voting for the uh, executive of the year, and you got uh, Monty McNair who won it out in Sacramento and deserved it so because – 16 year drought without making the postseason. He did that this year, and they finished with the third seed. But Leon Rose, to me, should have been in the top two or three because you even look at last game against Miami. Who were the three good guys down the stretch, the three guys that made a difference? Uh, it was Brunson, it was Josh Hart, and it was uh, Hartenstein. And none of those three guys were on the roster at the start of the year. And he, at the start of uh, at the end of last year, he went and got all of those guys in the offseason, or in the case of, uh, of Josh Hart at the trade deadline. And I thought that, you know, it's got to be one of the more underrated pickups in of the offseason, or the, I should say, middle of the
0: season. All right, Warriors mauled the Lakers last night. They're right back into that series. What's your feel on how that one is going to play out the rest of the way?
3: Well, I mean, you tell me what Anthony Davis is going to do, and I'll tell you yeah. what the series is going to look like. It's very It's got to be frustrating if you're Darvin Ham and the rest of his teammates as well, because one night he gives you 30 and 23 and, and what, what five blocks, I think, four blocks? And then yesterday he scores the same amount of points as Draymond Green with 11. That can't be happening. And the, the thing that's annoying is you look at Davis and it's like clockwork. It's been a yo-yo, I right? It's it's a 30-point game followed by a 12-point game. Then a 30-point game and then a 12-point game. Then a 30-point game, then an 11-point game. There's nothing in between where on a nightly basis he gives you like 22 points. It's one extreme or the other. And uh, if he's consistently good, I think they have the edge. If he's going to play as passive as he did last night, then, then uh, Golden State's got the edge.
0: Chris Paul not going to be a go tonight for the Suns. May not play again. Maybe the rest of the series. Who knows? With that issue now, another issue for him in the postseason. It seems like I don't know. Is there still enough time for Kevin Durant to request a trade to another team by the time this series is over? That has a better chance of winning, or what?
3: I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me. And here's the thing with Durant: How about being <laughs> the best player? Like, how about being the best player on the floor in one playoff game? And go back and look this up, and you tell me if you think he's been one of the best players uh, or the best player. So he hasn't been bad this postseason. But they're not paying – like, he's not a top 15 to 20 player, and you're not giving up all that those trade assets – for him to you know, to be good, he's supposed to be the best player on the floor. And if you go back to last year against the Celtics in the first round, he was not the best player on the floor in any of those four games. Okay, Then this year, even though they got out of the first round, Kawhi's the best player on the floor one game. Devin Booker's the best player on the floor of the other games that Phoenix won. Then in this series, Jamal Murray best player on the floor. Jokic best player on the floor. Durant's played at least 11 consecutive postseason games where he hasn't been the best player on the floor. I can't imagine saying that about like Giannis or... Jokic or, you know, LeBron
0: or even Jimmy, you know,
3: Butler. That <laughs> Jimmy Butler, I mean, those guys aren't going 11 straight games. So they're not the best player in the floor in any of them. So he's got to step up and uh, uh, back against the wall, do something about it.
0: I don't disagree with you at all, and it doesn't look like it's going to be a happy ending for him out there in the desert, at least not this season. And, look, there's always the built-in excuse again. You know, Chris Paul goes down. That's why they didn't beat Denver. But you never know. Maybe they'll be in for a, or we will be in for a little bit of a surprise tonight if they could somehow rise up on their home floor. We shall see. JT, I'll let you get back to your uh, Celtics and Sixers. Appreciate a couple of minutes, as always, my friend. Enjoy the rest of the uh, playoffs. We'll do it again real soon. right, bud? All right, well, call me later if the Celtics start losing. I'm not going to watch the game. I, I'm going to want to be busy,
3: so call me back. I'll come out a second
0: time. There you go. All right, buddy, you'll be good. There is uh, Justin Termini. He's a character. Sirius XM NBA Radio certainly knows his hoops. Uh, appreciate a couple of minutes from him. 800-919-3776, and uh, Boston has a five-point lead late in the second quarter right now over the Philadelphia 76ers. What he, hey, what he said about Durant is true. And look, you know that we sat here and spent countless hours countless hours when that whole thing fell apart in Brooklyn and with him wanting to trade out of there and wanting to go to Phoenix. I mean, we ripped them pretty good for a good long while. And, you know, I think that there's people back here, especially if you are rooting on the Brooklyn side of things, that maybe you're not getting a little bit of satisfaction over the fact that they may be, uh, a, a premature exit again in round number two of these playoffs as it looks like they're up against it uh, with these Nuggets. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six 3776 is the telephone number. We'll get into some football in our final hour. Jordan Ronald will join us, talk a little giant football. We roll till 10 on this Friday. Dan Gross's show, 9870 ESPN.